radio's gone. So are the choppers. Yeah, we're completely cut off. All we can do now is hold up till spring, wait for the rescue team. No, we don't wait. Somebody in this camp ain't what he appears to be. Right now, that may be one or two of us. By spring, it could be all of us. So how do we know who's human? If I was an imitation, a perfect imitation, how would you know if it was really me? Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 128, The Thing. So everything happening really fast these days. We're throwing a lot of good content at you. Audio commentaries, back. Give us a second, back. The new mini-sode series on the the record. record. So I just feel like we're kind of in a good role right now with the show. Well, we're certainly... Testing a lot of different things out, that's for sure. Which I think is good, right? (laughs) We're seeing how it goes. We're giving people a lot of options. So the thing, I mean, full disclosure, we saw a classic movie night screening of this recently. Yeah, which was Always a fun way to incorporate incorporate something into the show. Yeah, well, that was purely a coincidence, really, because it was on the schedule well before I knew that that was playing at a classic movie night. So it, it worked out. Worked yeah. out, yeah. We're kind of experiencing the thing like weather recently. Well, we certainly were when we went <laughs> to see it a and few weeks ago. Every, right, zero degrees. Now we're back up to 40 degrees and rain every day. That would be the reason why we didn't include the thing in The Greatest October, because I do think that the thing kind of qualifies as a horror movie, although yeah. primarily science fiction, but with a huge horror element to it. But Plus, I thought it would be more fun to do it during this kind of time yeah. with the weather and everything. It's more of a, a winter feel to it. I kind of feel like John Carpenter has been a major player for this podcast. And yet, is this the first John Carpenter movie we've actually done? What about The Fog? Oh, yeah, we did do The Fog. Really, That's like a combined episode you know, with Psycho 2. He did the music for Halloween 3. Yeah, he was heavily involved in Halloween 3. Right. And we talked about the history of Halloween during a Give Us a Second and stuff like that. I but. do think I, I love John Carpenter as a director. I mean, obviously, like, the later years weren't great. <laughs> you know? Have you seen The Ward? I have not seen The Ward. I think that's his last feature. That was, like, 2006, maybe. How many classic movie nights have we gone to for John Carpenter? Halloween, The Thing, Vampires. John Carpenter's Vampires. We were two of probably eight people there. Which is just a terrible movie, but I'll say this. Would see again. (laughs) I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's mostly for Cheryl Lee. Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Podcast favorite. (laughs) Yeah, John Carpenter is an interesting director burst onto the mainstream with horror with Halloween, but I don't think he ever really wanted to be necessarily tied to it, so he definitely tried to branch out with different kinds of things more in the science fiction vein and 
sure. Yeah. I, I don't know what you would call Big Trouble in Little China. I guess it's like an <laughs> adventure, or right. action adventure or something, and whatever. So he tra- escaped tra- from New York. Yeah, that'd be more of like futuristic sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. He he tried a lot of different things, but his bread and butter is the stuff like Halloween and the thing. And I don't know if I would necessarily call the thing better than Halloween, but it's definitely like a more accomplished movie like he's doing so much as a director he has everything working at full tilt everything's off the charts good about it he had a lot of help from dean cundy uh the cinematographer who he had worked with on halloween and maybe the real star of the movie rob botin the special effects guy who was sure basically 22 at the time wow did not know took this all on and Effects way ahead of their time in this movie. Right? Yeah, you I mean, say. he kind of changed the game, really, and he became a legend. He's he's still alive, but he's retired. I mean, he's been retired since, like, 2002, and he's only, Wait, he came like, out, like... with, like, a music album, like, a few years ago. No, I'm talking about Rob Bozzi. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Carpenter is still around. He was a producer on the new Halloween. Is he directing anything, though, anymore? I mean, it's probably been a while, right? Uh, I think the ward was 2006. Yeah, so... So, yeah. It's been a few years, yeah. Before we get into the thing itself, because there's so much to get to. Oh, boy. Let's remind our listeners, our loyal, lovely, wonderful, smart, intelligent, brilliant, beautiful listeners, (laughs) to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and subscribe on iTunes. You're really the street team for the show. Oh, it's true, yeah. Word of mouth. We can't say enough (laughs) about how good of a job you do. Do they? No, no one works harder than our street team, is what I always say. <laughs> okay. So we're really relying on you to spread the word. That's right. Let's get into it. The Thing, 1982, directed by John Carpenter, screenplay by Bill Lancaster, adapted from a short story by John W. Campbell Jr. called Who Goes There? And this was the second adaptation, the first being The Thing from Another World from 1951, directed by Christian Nyby. And that was a poltergeist type situation because it was a Howard Hawks production famous director and people have long speculated that maybe Howard Hawks directed it and not Christian Nivey so it was like a whole thing that went on and on well beyond the movie but Carpenter himself was a huge fan of that film and uses it in Halloween if you recall on the screen yes I do recall while Laurie's babysitting the kids it comes up the thing which is the same title sequence that he uses in his version with that whole like the lights coming through oh yeah yeah so that okay so that's a direct reference then to the other version yeah yeah he used the same thing now when he used the 1951 version the thing from another world in halloween he had no intention of remaking it he was not attached to the project at all in fact when he was approached to do this remake he didn't really want to do it at first Oh, wow. It was one of those things that kind of got batted around for a while. I definitely would have thought that this was like a, a passion project. He loved the original, but I don't think that he really wanted to necessarily do a remake of it. Sure. Until he thought, well, I could do something more in line with the original source material, the short story by John W. Campbell Jr., which the 1982 version that we're going to be talking about does stick way more closely to that story than the 1951 version, which is essentially like a classic monster movie. Okay, right. It's not really like a science fiction thing. In preparation for this episode, I I not only saw the thing... 
in the theater go. with you. Right. I rewatched it. Yes. I watched the 1951 version for the first time, The Thing from Another World. I watched the 2011 prequel starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Okay, well, there you go. Which, Show upon rewatch, yeah. is not a great movie. I feel like I remember you saying you liked it when it came out. I never um, saw it. You know what? It's Ma- not terrible. It's just... That might have been Keith, actually, that told me he liked it. It's not terrible. It just it doesn't really give you the same kind of it's just not on thrills as level. the original. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of like it hits the right beats in terms of nostalgia because you're like, oh, here's the part with the giant block of ice that you see in the 1982 version. Okay. You see all right. of those moments that they hit from the 82 version when they go visit the Norwegian camp because it's a prequel about that Norwegian camp. Yeah. When you see these Norwegian guys at the beginning of this movie, it's hard to believe that there was a woman in the mix. Yeah. yeah. And the technology doesn't necessarily make sense. I mean, it's not like they're walking around with iPhones in the 2011 version, but <laughs> like they don't really make sure that it looks like it takes place in 82. Okay. Which in Carpenter's version, it does say 1982 Antarctica at the beginning. So, yep. you know, you're in present day when the movie came out. And so if a prequel movie is existing, that would have also had to have been 82. But they don't really worry that much about making it look like it's 82. Gotcha. I have not seen. I wouldn't say that the, they like the prequel movie. Yeah, it's not like egregious, but at the same time, they're not that, that concerned with it. It's fine, but whatever. And then I also watched season one, episode eight of The X-Files, an episode called Ice, which is, is an homage to this movie. Ah. And one of my favorite episodes of The X-Files. So, I mean, I've been all over the place yeah. really getting into the mindset. So, for those keeping track at home, Matt, less prep than Zach for this episode. Yes. <laughs> Not really dissimilar from every other episode. Sure, right. So, The Thing was released in theaters the same day as Blade Runner. Both. Wow, monumental day. Negative reviews, weak box office, really. I guess retroactively. Yeah, well, 82 was a fucking crazy year yeah. for movies, and there's a lot of reasons why people think that this version of The Thing didn't do well and why it was received so poorly originally. All-male cast. Well, part of it was it was a bleak tone. It was very cynical in a time period where people were right going my through alley. a recession and everyone kind of wanted a more upbeat thing. And the big movie of 82 was E.T., which was a positive upbeat experience well, with extraterrestrials i don't know if i'm ready to say that and but. this is a horrifying nightmare of an experience <laughs> with extraterrestrials right. so it's kind of like what people were in the mood for i guess there were a lot of science fiction movies in 82 though the vibe of this movie kind of just fits into that whole like alien feel for me yeah the cool the thing- movie alien right is. yeah yeah I, I got you right. ridley scott's alien i think like the cool thing, though, about The Thing and why, in a lot of ways, I find it even more fun than Alien, in certain respects at least, is that it takes place on Earth. Yeah. And it's all very contained. It's like a very, almost like an Agatha Christie novel, like, and then there were none or something oh, like wow, that. Like, yeah. all very murder mystery almost. And the whole point of it is about an erosion of trust amongst a small community of people. So... In the movie, we have 12 characters, yeah. basically, 12 main characters. and It's like 12 angry men. And it just becomes <laughs> 12 horny men. True. No yeah. chicks. Well, we would, 
I think we need to get into that at some point. What? Like, what's going on with these guys? I, I just mean, like, how do you find yourself in this situation? Yeah, well, I think it depends on which character. McCready, the main character, Kurt Russell, I think is just kind of like a mercenary. He's basically yeah. just a pilot, and he's doing this because the pay is good. I feel like there's kind of like a lost the show thing going on. Like, if we got to see, like, the flashbacks of all these guys, like something horrible happened to each one of them. Well, I think carpenter and russell working together came up with a backstory for his character where he was like a vietnam vet who okay just come back i'm buying it yeah that kind of thing his character the other characters i don't really know some yeah. of them are scientists so this is what they do right others are it seems just like there <laughs> it seems like it should mostly be scientists there's almost like too many guys that you don't really know what their job is there yeah like, did they really need a guy to come just to take care of the dogs <laughs> you know <laughs> well they need a dog specialist right <laughs> the kennel master <laughs> let's talk about rob botine ennio marconi dean cundy all the peripheral people okay so we touched on botine was such like a young guy but took this on and this is like basically a masterpiece in special effects practical effects we walked out of that screening and i was like this movie's almost 40 years old it looks better than 99 percent of the things that come out now sure yeah especially when you do that 4k scan you get like a real nice blu-ray presentation of this and dean cundy's cinematography is perfect because he illuminates it just enough where you can see it but not too much where you can definitely tell like oh this okay, is like right. fake like this is a synthetic head what? that's its tongue is sticking out and lashing around you know what it, like yeah. that whole thing there's it looks some, pretty real yeah there's definitely some stuff that looks stupid but <laughs> I, would I wouldn't say, say stupid. Not, not certainly not the majority. Now, I mean, we're in agreement that the opening shot in space with the yeah, well, that certainly should have been cut. Yeah, not and honestly, it doesn't even really look that bad. It just kind of feels dumb. I feel like it detracts from the movie. It doesn't feels, add anything. I didn't see anywhere. I didn't have time to fi find this out specifically, but that felt like a studio note. Yeah, sure. Like, can we see the alien crash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, that whole thing. Because it definitely feels unnecessary. Right. We get it. We don't really need that. There's another shot, too, whenever Kurt Russell and a couple of the other guys are at the actual crash site, and they're, like, overlooking it. So you're, it's, like, from behind. And it clearly is not really in front of them. Sure. Yeah. That massive spaceship in the ice. And it doesn't look great. Although... You do have to kind of cut the slack of like, well, this movie's almost 40 years old. Back in 1982, I'm sure that looked fine and nobody questioned it because that's just as good as it looks. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Now you could touch that up with computers and it would look like they were actually really there and right. not on like a green screen or something. Now, I mean, that, yeah. And I will say like, aside from the effects, the on-location shooting definitely adds to the, the feel of this movie. Like the well, whole they only filmed like some of the stuff in Alaska, and like most of it was filmed in a soundstage that they like froze. Okay. Well, what like the actual bunker stuff is that in a? That's in like a soundstage. Okay. Either way, the bunker like set design is really well done. I mean, it's crazy what they did. They were able to like refrigerate it to below freezing, where like outside it was over a hundred degrees in Los Angeles oh, wow. while they were yeah. filming this. So yeah, I mean, but obviously the stuff outside the bunker has to be in Alaska. Some of it, yeah, yeah, okay. Especially like the establishing shots and like the whole opening with the helicopter chasing the dog, and right? All that like stuff. the sprawling yeah. shot. I guess you 
find out the backstory on the Norwegians and Mary Elizabeth Winstead's the thing, as I call it. Right. Are they soldiers or are they, is that a whole science set up? These people that are just. It's the same thing, except it's another country. It's Nor- it's Norway's scientists. Okay. But these and they're people the ones that, that are shooting find... heavy automatic weapons at the dog but can't <laughs> hit it. I know I just watched this, but I don't really remember how they get to. Th- I know it ends with the helicopter chasing the dog, right. but like I don't really remember how they even got to that because yeah, yeah, yeah. it seemed to be that like it ends with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton, and neither of them are in the helicopter. So I'm not sure. It's just it, I don't really remember how that the happened. one thing about the start of John Carpenter's the thing. I'd almost rather not see the prequel. You know, what I mean? like yeah, it's interesting because that's not how the original source material the short story is which it like i said carpenter's version sticks way more closely to it than the 1951 version but the big difference and i'm not sure why they did this but it turns out to be a genius move which is they make it about a team that stumbles upon accidentally what another team found and that's not how it is in the short story the short story the team that finds it is who the short story is about like the team with mccready is the one that found the alien and brought it to the camp and they just kind of change that to be like well somebody else did that and it just gets into our camp and it's kind of a brilliant move because that way you never have to show what the original thing in the ice looked like you start off with the dog entering the camp, which you don't know at first that that's the thing. True. And so it takes a while for that to all be figured out and play out, and it kind of builds the suspense where you can kind of start to figure out something's weird, and then ultimately you get that first huge set piece with the dog in yeah. the kennel and I do doing like that whole thing. When the dog shows up and the Norwegians are trying to shoot it but just failing horribly. Yeah, the apparently scene- they've never fired a right. weapon I, I do like. All. The kind of clumsiness of the the sequence, but it's almost a little too clumsy. A, they keep missing it, and then like the one dude from McCready's camp just shoots them. Right? Yeah, because there's like a miscommunication. All right, let's jump into. Okay, well I did want to well, mention yeah, uh, Morricone with the score. This is Ennio Morricone. Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. So this is like has done a lot of famous movie scores. Yes. I. As a fan, I mostly remember Quentin Tarantino talking about wanting to use him, which he finally did for Hateful Eight. Correct. Which also has a similar wintry mix. Yeah, but he used to do like the Sergio Leone, Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Westerns. I mean, he's done like tons of stuff over the years. Never really worked too much with like electronic music outside of the thing, which is Carpenter's domain. And so they kind of like met together on that. Carpenter supplemented the score a little bit because I think when he approached Morricone, they were behind schedule. The movie wasn't done yet, so he wasn't able to really score the whole thing. So it's like a mixed bag of like yeah, who's yeah. doing what. I think he did like the main like boom, 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 which is like the iconic music right. from it. But you can definitely hear similarities to Carpenter's stuff throughout oh, yeah. it. And it's interesting because Halloween 3 did come out the same year. Wow. Big year. And I think the score in Halloween 3, the very electronic score that Carpenter did in that, is very similar. Oh, to yeah, parts I would of the agree. Thing. There's definitely some similar moments, although they don't sing like, 12 more days till Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that. Silver shamrock. Yeah. Happy, happy Halloween, 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 happy, happy. 
of dudes in this movie, no chicks, which that has to be a first for our podcast. You, I know you wouldn't think. I would have thought. <laughs> what it are we going to talk about? <laughs> Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross first before this, but <laughs> if we're not going to talk about which women we think are hot, then I don't know what. I know that is the one thing. I mean, I guess there least... was a deleted scene with Kurt Russell blowing up a blow up doll that isn't in the movie. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. I could have stood for that. You do wonder. Well, it's interesting because... How long are these guys supposed to be, like, on this assignment? I don't know. At least for the winter. Because the winter is about to start. That's like, they're there. The movie is basically the beginning of winter. And I think travel is going to be significantly harder and once the winter you do go back starts. to, like, what are they doing? <laughs> I mean... Well, people investigating? are there now, I would imagine. I think we always have scientists in places like Antarctica doing shit. I don't know what they do. Yeah. Who knows? But, I mean, you just kind of they accept have a that that's what they're fully doing. fully stocked bar. I'm seeing a lot of, like, pool playing. Well, you need you can't Arcades. be work 24-7. <laughs> yeah, right. You can go crazy. I think you have to – you don't want, like, a shining situation where everyone's going nuts. Well, this just feels like a shining situation with more You Jack would probably think that maybe you'd want to have married couples, oh, secure marriages, yeah. not people that just got married that are probably going to end up divorcing or causing a scene out there. Yeah. You know, like, people that have, like, nice, comfortable marriages. I think maybe marriages. people who are, like, in the lifestyle, though, you know? Like, o- open marriages, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just think for everyone could have a little fun with this situation, you know? There's a lot of different interpretations of the movie, and because of the time period, early 80s, you can't help but think about AIDS, especially with the blood scene and how casual they are with, like, cutting their thumbs, and the guy just wipes the scalpel on his jeans yeah i will say that didn't cross my mind but, but you know when you think about it it's like all men okay. and there's a an unseen thing transmitted between them it's like sure yeah you can't help but think like there's kind of a totally gay theme yeah <laughs> well I, I wasn't thinking gay but like <laughs> aids which affected the gay community sure. in that time period and i don't know i mean there's lots of different things i mean there's obviously like a cold war thing too about yeah, not I knowing guess, who to trust with true. like spies and yeah stuff. I, I never thought about the the blood transmission thing yeah i guess that that probably is a part of it in the rewatches recently i just noticed like when they're doing that whole blood scene to test the blood and he's just like cutting everyone's thumb he's using the same thing he's just, like wiping right. it on yeah. his jeans i was like jesus they're very not casual very sterile. About that. yeah i always think about it i mean it's like obvious is just the uh kind of societal thing of taking leadership in these weird isolated moments you know like how someone like establishes themselves as the alpha right because the station commander gary he's the one that kills the norwegian in self-defense right. at the beginning and he's supposed to be in charge and now how did he get very, that job yeah well it's just i don't know that's just his job they hire a station commander there could be a military element to this. I don't know. I know. That's what I'm trying to get at. Is there one? I don't, I don't know how our Antarctic expeditions work. Okay. I've never been. Well, <laughs> we, need a con- we need a consultation. But somebody's in charge, and he's in charge, and then very quickly you realize that he's not. And it takes a while for the film to catch up to what the audience already knows, which yeah. is that McCready, Kurt Russell's character, is the one in charge. How can you not get that? Yeah. Clear. I think the point, though, of his character is because he lives in that like separate shack. He's not really a part of their research. He doesn't really other than flying them around in the helicopter. That's all. He's a pilot. Yeah. So he's not really like a part of their crew until 
shit goes down and he kind of like takes charge. Yeah, he kind of gets his own little bunker and plays chess in what seems like maybe a now, 2001 space Odyssey. Now, the voice of the computer, Adrian Barbeau, yes. who was married to John Carpenter at the time, star of The Fog. Right. Show favorite. <laughs> okay, so we have McCready, played by Kurt Russell. Blair, played by Wilford Brimley, who people will probably know. The diabetes guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Different things. He's been around forever. It's funny because he's still, I was telling you before we started recording, he's still alive now, yet he looks like he's like 55 in this movie. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Childs, played by Keith David. This was actually his first feature film. Yeah. He was a stage actor before this. And Famous for Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> amongst a million other things, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Made Marion. Knowles played by T.K. Carter. He is the cook. He's the one dancing around to oh, yeah. Superstition by Stevie Wonder. At a certain point, you're just like, there's too many dudes in this movie. It's hard to... And they're kind of like very generic, sort of bland. Well, dudes, Childs and Nalls are the two black guys. Okay. Right. So there's that. <laughs> Remarkable, yeah. Palmer, played by David Clennon. He was Rosamund Pike's dad in Gone Girl, which is shocking. It is, yeah. I did not know that. Would not have put that together ever in a million years. Dr. Copper, played by Richard Dysart. He's the guy that has the weird nose ring. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, yeah. It's kind of odd because it's like up a... I don't know. He's like an older guy, and he's the doctor, but he has like a weird nose ring. I don't recall the nose ring at all. He's wow. the guy who gets his arms chomped off okay. by yeah, the stomach I remember mouth. that guy well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that now that you mention it. Norris... Played by Charles Hallahan. He's the guy that they think has a heart attack, but it's really that ruse. Oh, yes. Yeah, right. his arms off. George Bennings, played by Peter Maloney. He's that odd-looking guy that has the weird hands that they burn in the snow that makes the noise like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clark, played by Richard Mazur. He's the dog guy. He plays the adult version of Stan from Stephen King's It from 1990. Notable, yeah, noteworthy. <laughs> He's also yeah. in Red Oaks, okay, as yeah. one of the therapist guys. He's That's only right. in a few episodes. Yep. Gary, played by Donald Moffat, he's the guy that shoots the Norwegian. He's got the dark hair but white eyebrows, which this is guy, odd looking. Uh, this guy's familiar to me, but I don't know from what. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of these guys, you look at their IMDb's, and their number one known for thing is the thing. Gotcha. So, yeah, I don't know. He died very recently, back in December. Mm-hmm. Fuchs played by Joel Pupulis, and Windows, played by Thomas Waits. Windows is the guy that is always with, like, the radio. He's always yeah. wearing the sunglasses indoors. Right. Kind of has a cool look to him. Kind of. You know. <laughs> yeah, he gets his ass beat by Wilford Brimley, though, like, sure. later in the movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Although, that's kind of off-screen, at least. <laughs> at least they, he didn't have to do that on-screen. True, yeah. It just cuts to him, and he's, like, bloody. <laughs> I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! So yeah, we talked about the opening shot of the film being that spaceship crashing into Earth. They could have cut this right out. It's so unneeded. It stinks. If yeah. I was going to re-edit this movie, that would be the first thing. Yeah. It feels out of the movie. Yeah, it doesn't fit. It doesn't look right. This movie, for me, is like an A-plus, possibly top 25 movie for wow. me. Wow. And I bet if you looked at and if every you cut other movie that out, on that list, 
there would be nudity in it. <laughs> That's not true at all. <laughs> but it would go from like an A plus to an A plus plus if wow. they cut that spaceship part that out. That would be a big leap. Antarctica in 1982. We open with the Norwegian. How many ties, by the way, in that top 25 list? <laughs> <laughs> a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> Every movie we've done on the podcast. Right. <laughs> with the exception of Bellflower. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, well, I had another Bellflower-esque suggestion before the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it went over as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a time with this podcast where I was like, some of these episodes you should take like the the lead. Oof. And then <laughs> oh. <laughs> what that was time. the only episode we had to like. There's been a lot of mistakes along the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, back in the early days we re-recorded sure. several episodes. That's happened. We're, We're not going to hide from that. We would record an episode and I would be like that wasn't good enough. Yeah, I think we got to redo that. it. Right. Wonder Boys was definitely one of them. Yeah. There were times Havoc. Where, right. <laughs> there were times where I was like thinking that it was fine. And we'd get done and I'd be like, I thought that was pretty good. And you were like, No, we're I'm deleting that. We're deleting that. We're redoing it. I yeah, can't imagine that now. Oh god. Yeah, well I well first of all, I think we've gotten better. We are definitely way better than we used to be. And also now it just would be unfathomable yeah. to have to do. Those were back we when the episodes were 45 minutes. Well, and it's always like if we got to the point now where we finished an episode and you felt like it was bad enough that we had to re-record it, that would just be the end of the podcast. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, we ran into that situation with Eyes Wide Shut where we sure. had the sound problem for, I don't know, half the episode. Oh, and yeah. We were basically like, well, we're keeping it because we're not redoing it. Right. <laughs> Now, granted, like we used to keep long stretches of it where it just sounded like we were underwater. <laughs> All right. We don't need to recount every dark moment sure. of this yeah. show's history. <laughs> so, okay. Antarctica, 1982. We open with the Norwegian helicopter pursuing a sled dog towards an American research station. The Nords are firing at the dog missing. Are we like 40 minutes in and we're talking about the opening scene? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, it's just horrible, unbelievable. I mean, it's like James Bond level of like people just opening fire and cannot hit their target. And this leads to the eventual. Confusion. I mean, shooting from the helicopter forever. A dog is out running a helicopter and they can't shoot it. <laughs> I don't know. I do have to give them a little bit of slack. I don't think I would be able to shoot a dog from a helicopter. Okay, personally. that's true. Yeah, I don't. I've only fired you on a, gun a like a Norwegian couple of times. expedition to Antarctica either. And we don't know what happened. I don't think you'd be at, the first choice. In this version of the movie, we don't know what happened at their true. station. So these right. could be guys that like had never had any experience with guns. Yeah. We don't know who these guys sure. are. Sure. I do think that's a part of it. This leads though to this eventual confusion where they're trying to like kill the dog with grenades and they blow up the helicopter and one of the Norwegian dies there. The other Norwegian's on the ground. He's firing oh, yeah, the rifle terrible. towards the Americans that have like run out. He actually wounds Bennings. He shoots him in the leg. Right. Yeah. But there's a lack of communication. He doesn't speak English. They don't know what he's doing. Station Commander Gary kills the Norwegian in self-defense. He, like, breaks through a window and shoots him with a handgun right through the head. <laughs> what a never shot. Was on it, never actually was able to hit the dog. Right. Now, you know, when you view this movie knowing what 
comes next, you're like, well, maybe they should be suspicious of this dog, but obviously, how would they fucking know what the fuck these people were doing? Yeah. It's like, these guys obviously went crazy. What other explanation could there be? Well, that's Why would they, they be doing this? Why would they be... <laughs> <laughs> Why would they be using such heavy artillery to try to take out a dog and fail so horribly? <laughs> Dr. Copper plus the pilot, McCready, played by Kurt Russell, they leave to investigate the Norwegian base. Back at the American base, the dog is just kind of prowling around. There's that little sequence where the dog is walking around through the base and you see it go into a room with a shadow, like a silhouette. Yes, Carpenter, it's of a person, right? Yeah, Carpenter yeah. used an actor there that's not in the movie because he didn't want the silhouette to actually look like anyone to specific. give it away. Yeah, he wanted it to just be, Keep the you don't know who it is. Yeah. We've already seen the dog now interact with a couple of the guys. Like It does like leap up onto Bennings, which is what caused Bennings to get wounded. And yep. then obviously Clark, who's like the dog man, has already interacted with it. There's walking around through the camp. At the Norwegian base... Everything's, Everything's destroyed. It's like a nightmare. Copper and McCready have found it a smoldering, burned ruins. No one left alive. It's a disaster. There's frozen corpses. The, the guy sitting in the chair with the slit wrists and the frozen blood. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> when we were seeing this on that, that like... Sub-Zero night, I would lean over. And I'm like, this is me in about an hour Oh, and yeah, half. right. My car like barely started up after this movie. <laughs> You just, in the parking lot of Lowe's, you just slit your wrist. Yeah. It's like frozen blood. <laughs> if for me, it would be like, well, first I'd drive over to Chick-fil-A, which I think I did that night. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm assuming Chick-fil-A is still open. I know it's negative 10 degrees out. Right. <laughs> I eat the Chick-fil-A in the parking lot, then slit my wrists. <laughs> they find a giant block of ice. It's almost like a frozen coffin without a lid. So clearly... The implication here is that they pulled something out of the ice. The top of it has been blown off. That sequence in the prequel movie with Mary Elizabeth Winsett is pretty lame. Okay. But it's a giant block of ice, and the top is gone, so something has come out of it. We get it, yep. There's all these little clues. It's not like it's some big mystery. Clearly, something is coming out of the ice that's caused a problem. So I guess in Mary Elizabeth Winsett's The Thing... <laughs> You She's the director see, now. You get to see the natural form of the alien then? Kind of. I mean, you okay. it's pretty obscured. You never really get like okay. a look at it. Yeah. It's kind of just like a black shape. <laughs> right. Okay. Literally, what happens is some guy goes to look at it, and he's kind of like what the scaring fuck is this? himself. Okay. Yeah. Because like some guy comes in from behind, and he's like, oh, you know, it's a fake scare out moment, yeah, and then yeah. that guy leaves. Then all of a sudden, like, it just explodes up out of it. Ah. And so you don't even really see it because it goes, like, right through the roof, basically. Yeah. It's ridiculous. At the Norwegian base, they find charred remains of a malformed humanoid thing, which they, for some reason, are like, let's bring this back to base. Let's figure out what this is. Sure. It's yeah. some mutilated, horrible thing. Right. It kind of looks like a person. So they bring that back. One would think the smell would not be great. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree, although I guess it's frozen at Yeah, that that's point. true, yeah. It's hard to say, like, what the temperature is. Quite cold, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming, like, well into the negatives, but I don't know, right. really. It's supposed to be, like, the start of winter. I would imagine the winter in Antarctica is pretty rough. Yeah, I wonder how well heated, like, the helicopter 
is. I was wondering that too. Yeah. Because they look pretty bundled up when right. they're flying, but I I would imagine there has to be Some something sort of because they they said it was an hour flight to the Norwegian base and an hour flight back. Wow. I don't think you could just sit still for an hour in that temperature, especially at altitude. I'm thinking no. There has to be some kind of heat coming out of that. Yeah. I guess, like, the thing that jumps out to me here in this moment when they're bringing this charred thing back is, like, what do you think their suspicions are of what happened at this place? I mean, obviously they see people well, have committed are, suicide in horrible ways, and everyone is dead, and everything's on fire. Well, these are certainly two of the more free-thinking characters, right, of the movie? Yeah. I mean, obviously they're Copper not- is a doctor. McCready seems to be... The smartest, or at least <laughs> somehow smarter than street. all the scientists and doctors. <laughs> well, the most like, yeah, street, street savvy, smart, yeah. aware. Uh, we touched on his possible v- Vietnam right. experience. He's dealt with horrible things. Yeah, but I mean, they're <laughs> they're like clearly this is something fucked up happened here. Although I guess, and I think we have mentioned this in previous episodes where crazy shit happens in the movie or whatever. You have to look at it from the perspective of reality, which yeah. is like, would if you they're ever living it, in that reality, right. could they possibly imagine anything like this? The most, Although I would, I guess from seeing movies and TV <laughs> and shit, I would be like, we can't it's touch anything. It's gotta be a fucking alien. We gotta go yeah. back to America right now. <laughs> when they get back, there's this further establishment of isolation because Windows can't reach anyone on the radio. They're truly isolated and well, alone. This is one here. of the things, yeah, and going back to that weird, like, societal thing when you're living in, like, an isolated environment and how, like, things can change. When it does become, like, a crisis situation, it's so weird how, like, that dude who has the gun, you think nothing of it while everything's, like, functioning as normal. But then when, like, shit hits the fan, all of a sudden the guy with the gun is, like... Yeah. It, it's just a completely different ball game. Yeah, and who the leader of the group is and who has the guns and who has the flamethrowers and all these different things. That definitely is a common A theme. shocking need for flamethrowers at this <laughs> bunker in Antarctica. Well, I guess you... I mean, when everything's frozen all the time, I guess you would yeah. need stuff like that. I don't know. Again, I... I, I bought it. I, I'm into it, yeah. I mean, it does... But they, it seems like they have, like, some kind of military-grade <laughs> weapons and, like, helicopters and stuff, you know? Well, you know what's funny to me... Thinking when we saw this in the theater recently and other times that I've watched this movie in modern times. Okay. I'm always blown away by the fact that they were going to places like Antarctica in 1982. It does seem strange. But the crazy thing is the short story. missions, by the way. (laughs) The short story is from like 1930-something. They were going on expeditions to places like Antarctica in like the 20s. I'm feeling like the death How count. How could there have been any right. technology that was suitable for this to happen? Yeah, I don't know. That is strange. It's amazing. And even to think even in 82 like they were able to just live there. Yeah. They had like generators and could heat buildings there. It just seems crazy. But know. again, I go back to what the hell are these dudes actually doing? We never really get into that. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're taking I guess the idea of like a vague mission kind of works better. Yeah, but what? Do, but there's always scientists in Antarctica. I so guess, what are they yeah. ever doing? I don't know. Does it matter? They're taking <laughs> core samples out of the ice. They're sure, yeah, exploring. It's kind of just the same thing as if they were in the 1400s and they were sailing around discovering new countries or what. You know, like it's just exploring, and discovering like new pieces of ice. It's no different from what 
astronauts do or whatever. It's just like we're always charting different things. Well, there's things to learn about weather patterns and different stuff. I don't know. There's all kinds of different stuff you can figure out from different points on the Earth or whatever. And who knows? Yeah. I mean, do you think it's better that it's just all dudes? It's more realistic for this time period. Yeah. Them having a couple of women in the 1951 version seemed insane. Yeah. You like rape city. I'm thinking like, you know, (laughs) Me Too movement not in full swing in 1951. Probably a lot of sketchy situations. Yeah. Well, I think if in the 80s version or in a modern version, which is what they basically made the prequel to be, you can have women. You definitely, I don't think, could have one. You need to have like a few because like the isolation of just like the one woman would be kind of intense in a scenario like this. Obviously, ideally, you would assume that these are professional people and they aren't going to do anything crazy. But isolation—it seems dangerous. Crazy things to people. (laughs) (laughs) We've spent like a lot of time on the chick situation. I don't know. Which makes sense for the show. Sure. Yeah. Blair, the station biologist, that would be Wilford Brimley, he performs an autopsy on the humanoid remains brought back from the Norwegian base because I guess they're like, well, what the fuck is this thing? What's happening? And in those remains, he finds a normal set of human organs, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, so that's like your first hint that something weird really is happening. Really weirdest, yeah. I mean, it, one thing that's about this movie is like, it does not take long for shit to start happening. Oh, yeah. We get into it pretty quickly after this return trip from the ruined Norwegian base. And the way they lay out each process of figuring this out is kind of perfect for this movie. True. There's an element addressed in the short story that also you kind of have to imply in the movie version, this version, which is that the thing also can basically, once it assimilates, it can read the mind of the person it assimilates. Otherwise... It really wouldn't be able to replicate a human because it wouldn't know what to say. It wouldn't act like the person. It would be pretty obvious almost immediately that it wasn't the same person, especially once they figured out it was replicating the physical form. They would be able to tell like, oh, this guy's not saying shit that makes sense. This isn't how this person was. This must be the thing or whatever. So in the short story, they do kind of address that. But like movie magic wise you can kind of just buy that it can replicate the personality and thoughts of that person and know what to say and do and i mean you know obviously we spend so much of this show like poking holes (laughs) in the plots for some reason well i think those are interesting points to kind of talk out and figure out i will say in this movie it's sort of like vague enough that like i'm never really questioning it I never really find myself questioning like the there's logic a big, of what's going there's on. There's a big it. moment towards the end that uh, it prompted a lot of questions from me. Okay, well, we might need to get there. We'll get there later. Okay, yeah. But most of the stuff, I'm so willing to just go with it. Like, I, I don't find myself getting hung up on a lot of it. Yeah, when you limit things to an isolated area, an enclosed space, and you keep the cast relatively small, there's 12 main people. Right. It feels like a play. And you kind of talk through the science fiction yeah. elements of it one piece at a time. I'm like, who am I to say this is wrong? <laughs> Meanwhile, Clark finally puts the Norwegian dog in the kennel with the other dogs. And this moment 
leads to like the first big gross Much out to science fiction moment. The chagrin of the other dogs. Oh yeah. Those other dogs are like, God, what the fuck? <laughs> Clark, you piece of shit. Those dogs flip the fuck yeah. out. But aside from this being like the first big science fiction moment and the first and big it's like gross sci- like yeah. gross out thing that you're like, holy shit. It blows my fucking mind that people weren't seeing this movie in 82 and being sure, like, yeah. this is unbelievable. Right. We've never seen anything like this, but whatever. I, I think, like, <laughs> I was expecting, I was expect like, when you see the silhouette of the dude and the dog go into the room, you know something's fucked up. You know something's off. He's fucking that dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is Antarctica. But, like, I don't know. I think I was expecting a more prolonged period of time where, like, people were maybe getting killed by, like, an unseen thing and they don't right. know. Yeah. Like this jumps right into like everyone kind of being aware that shit is like fucked up and it's on a whole other level. Yeah, I do think that and I'm gonna jump back to what I was about to say, but please, yeah. First I'll say Carpenter looked at the original draft of the script and he was afraid there were too many scenes of guys just standing around talking, and I do think they escalated the action and included more crazy moments to try to like juice it up and it works because yeah instead of the short story where it's a lot of people talking and there's not a ton of action in the short story right this kind of gives you that holy shit moment right off the bat and then followed by even more crazy moments throughout and yeah the one with the dog is kind of the kicking off moment and what i was going to say before aside from it being that kicking off moment this action of Clark putting this dog with the other dogs provides the team at least a fighting chance because this announces the presence of this thing right. in a big fashion. Like you were saying, instead of killing, like it assimilating people one by one yeah, before yeah. they figured anything out, holy shit. Well, pretty much the whole team is intact. They're made yeah. aware that something major is going down here. Well, I think by the time he puts the dog in the kennel, it's already assimilated some of the people yeah. it's hard to say when some people have been assimilated True. but right by that point some already have yeah because it only makes sense because they stop certain chains See, of it later but other chains have already spread i don't i, I don't know that i know all of the science fiction <laughs> like all of the logic here i i guess the dog can go around and like break off and assimilate but still remain in the dog form yes yeah okay <laughs> Yeah, but that kind of goes against what it's trying to do with all the other dogs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The logic of this monster is unclear sometimes what it's doing. Right. Just horrible, gross shit. Yeah, stuff <laughs> that you don't want to look at. For the rest of the movie to work, though, you have to go with the idea that it has successfully assimilated right. some of the yes. other crew members, and we don't know that yet. Gotcha. Because... Later on, for example, we see a completely assimilated Palmer in that scene where they're on the couch. They're tied together on the couch. Correct, yeah. And up until that moment, we had no idea that Palmer was the thing. Right, So, yes, sometimes people have been assimilated. And I think at this point, before the dog gets put into the kennel, some of the people have already been assimilated. Because the main assimilated guy by the end of the movie i think has probably been an alien for a long time okay so 
we'll get to that because that ties into some of my unanswerable questions gotcha. slash like yes. what exactly happened here kind of thing. Obviously, if you haven't seen the movie, this whole thing is a spoiler alert, but we'll just say like I'll just say the character of Blair at the end of the movie, he kind of becomes like the main version of the thing by the end and I have a lot of questions as to like how that all played out, it's how long point, yeah. all this was going on. But we'll get there. It's hard to trace it back. Things start to spin out of control here. So once he puts the dog in the kennel, it doesn't take long for the imposter dog to reveal itself as the monster. And this sequence where the buildup with the other dogs realizing that... <laughs> it's sad, kind of. They're like, oh, shit. They're like barking at it. <laughs> it's this crazy moment where the audience is kind of not sure what's happening because it sees basically a regular looking dog. It cuts to the other dogs. It comes back all of a sudden that imposter dog is bleeding from its eyes and it's all crazy looking and then the next time it cuts back its face opens like a fucking flower almost or something like a plant it rips open into fours it's so horrifying it looks pretty gross when it starts going through this whole process yeah the alien attempts to absorb the other dogs it's unlike anything i can really think i would not have pictured the monster being like this you know what i mean like, when you're going into, like, the thing and you think it's some weird, like, alien thing, I never would have dreamed that, like, it had this ability. Or, like, what we would see is it basically sucking up other dogs and transforming into this weird hybrid <laughs> mutant dog thing. Yeah, and I think that's part of what separates this from your typical sci-fi fair is that's that it, it's yeah. so unbelievable the first time you see this. You're like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> I know in past episodes I referenced my initial reaction as a young kid seeing Toxic Avenger and being upset by it. And this is definitely <laughs> upsetting. Oh, yeah. It's just so gross and horrifying. And there's a certain body horror element to it, not unlike early Cronenberg stuff like yeah. The Fly or whatever, where you're just like imagining this happening to your own body or whatever. is so horrible and gross. And, and you, you, you do find yourself feeling for these other dogs a little bit. <laughs> It's like yeah, they, I love whenever they had no chance. Clark opens the door because he doesn't know what's happening, and like those a couple of those dogs just jump on him, like they're jumping out of <laughs> right, there. Like yeah. that one dog is trying to like rip through the side of the kennel. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off. Whatever it is, Bennings, go get Child. What is this? What's, it coming? what's going on? What's it coming? Hey, Palmer, what is it? I don't know. Child, Mac wants the flamethrower. Mac wants the what? That's what he said. Now move. Damn it. Eventually, Clark alerts other people. All this noise is happening. Is Everyone disturbance. comes rushing in. And Clark says to McCready, he goes, I don't know, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. And I was like, is that the undersell of the century? Well, I know. That's what he says to McCready. He's already seen it in action. He's gone over there. Not like He saw the tentacles coming out of the door. He, like, kicks the door closed. That's not, yeah, not to stop and say, like, that's the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. I would be, I'm in shock. Would be screaming. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Instead, he goes, it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. <laughs> it's like, all right, Clark. Yeah. The main cool thing, I feel like we've touched on it already, but I just want to reiterate, the major coolness factor of this movie is the practical effects. I mean, they're just unbelievable. There's no computer digital shit going on. I mean, I know. We talk about it like every episode for like these older movies, and you're just like, This looks a thousand percent cooler than almost anything they come out with now. Than any Avenger movie I've ever seen. (laughs) 
How about that? <laughs> well, I don't think it. they're attempting the, the level of <laughs> violence Horror, and gross yeah. shit. <laughs> so Childs comes in, Keith David. He incinerates the creature with a flamethrower. So now Blair has to autopsy this inhuman mess, and he discovers that this brand new, previously undiscovered, unknown organism can perfectly imitate other life forms. So that essentially is what we've we've referenced it already, but this is where the characters start to realize it. And this kind of is the unraveling of Blair, the man. It's unclear True. when yeah. he's no longer Blair, the man. Blair not only makes this discovery, but he also seems to be the first to fully realize the significance of what he's discovered. For sure, way ahead of his peers. Which is, if this thing can perfectly imitate dogs, who's to say it can't perfectly replicate human beings? And oh, if that's the case, yeah. then this has to be prevented from getting back to civilization at all costs. Right. Which is kind of the same plot to that episode of The X-Files that I talked about at the beginning, which yeah, it's yeah. not a thing that replicates humans. but it's, So he's like seeing the bigger know. picture of this very early on. I think everyone else is just kind of focused on survival. Yeah, he's immediately going to big picture. And this is the horror premise of the movie, fully realized, the perfect setup. This is what would attract John Carpenter and anybody else to the project, which is just the basic premise, which is that title of the short story, Who Goes There? And it's basically just not knowing who's human, who's who they say they are, that kind right, of thing. Right, yeah, it is like a weird thing that all these people sort of like break off into little groups you know, you, you get your little posses together of like people that you think you can trust, but really you have no idea. Yeah, and that plays into that element, that Cold War element of spies and stuff. True. But it also is not unlike other and science fiction projects, including Blade Runner, which came out the same day, which that was approaching what it means to be human more as to like who's human and not. Although there is a question in that movie, yeah. which we talked about when we did that episode. This is more of like, if you're not human, then you're a monster. The perspective is weird <laughs> for the movie because like, I, I feel like, and I'm not going out on a limb here, from an audience perspective, McCready is clearly our hero character. Right. So he's always a non-suspect from the viewer's perspective. Now, they try to shake that up in the movie, but I, I never... Pretty much, and we will talk about the ending. Okay. Like the closing shot of the movie. Right. But yeah. I think... As an audience, you attach yourself to the person that stands out as the hero of the film, and you the pretty much badass. assume that he's okay right. for at least most of it. So they review these Norwegian data tapes that they took from the Norwegian site, and they show that those guys found what appears to be this alien crash site in the ice. McCready and Norris check it out. Norris estimates that it's been buried in this ice for 100,000 years. So there you go. There's some science. All right. <laughs> He's estimating the age of ice. (laughs) And they find this smaller human-sized dig site that matches the block of ice that they found back at the Norwegian base. So all of these pieces of what exactly happened are starting to come together. Mm -hmm. They found this alien ship. They found some sort of a life form. They dug it out. They recreate that story even. I think McCready or someone basically says, so they crashed into this frozen place. This thing gets out of the ship, doesn't know where it is freezes immediately yeah yeah trapped in the ice for a hundred thousand years and then these norwegian guys came and unfroze it and now yeah i mean i guess now that you bring up the AIDS thing it does kind of you can this would have been early 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 days for that and you can kind of see that it's that thing that like quietly gets into a system but like once it's in it's too late there's nothing you can do yeah but i don't know if that would it was anybody's intention that's just a, a reading of the film 
now that we're like almost post understanding AIDS more. Right. Because I mean, 82 would have been very early days. They well, were, forget it. This was yeah. in pre-production in AIDS, the mid 70s. Whatever. Just that general idea of an infection or a sickness, yes. like getting yes. in and it's just slowly devouring and, and you try to fight it. But like once it's in, it's in and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, and it's interesting that you can take the idea of an all-male cast and the idea of AIDS affecting primarily homosexual men. At least that was the perception at the beginning. People obviously learn more over time. Yeah, you can project a lot of different reads onto it. But like I said, this was in pre-production for a long time. At one point, Toby Hooper was going to do it. Oh. They also looked at John Landis, a few other guys. Interesting. A lot of different directors yeah. were in the mix for this at different points. And then eventually Carpenter, who kept having hits. Because Carpenter's sure. movies didn't cost any money right. up until this. And then this movie, he got like this budget. Which was still, wasn't it only like $15 million or something? Yeah, but that was a lot more than I know, his but other as movies. Far as like, it only made like $19 million, though, yeah. in the theaters. So it wasn't like right. a disaster, but... Not a blockbuster. Yeah, they they wanted to make a lot of money with this, and it didn't really work out. Although now I think it's probably made plenty of money, and it became a big hit VHS-wise after the fact, but whatever. So Nalls, the cook, interrupts a group discussion about the alien creature. So Nalls is kind of on the periphery. He's just this cook guy. This is kind of a throwaway moment, but it turns out to be a big thing. He's mad that someone threw what essentially appear- it seems to be like their dirty underwear away in the kitchen. <laughs> in this moment, this is largely ignored prank. by the group. Right. But in reality, this is a clear indication that someone among them has already been turned and is no longer human. Yes. Because the alien can't actually replicate clothes, so whatever they're wearing in that moment comes off, I guess. Gotcha. And yeah. then they either have to put something else back on or whatever. So... We'll get to that later, but McCready, I do like how McCready is basically like playing with this underwear later. Like he's just like got it in his hands a lot. I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah, <laughs> it I mean, seems McC- gross to me. McCready's a bit touched, you know. It's just like there's something off there. Blair runs some numbers and gets paranoid. I don't really know how realistic his computer is, but he starts doing all this different shit on it, and <laughs> he basically estimates that the creature could assimilate all life on Earth. In approximately twenty seven thousand hours. Now this seems or like just a over wild three years formula. I was like, how long is twenty seven thousand hours? And it's basically over three years. Yeah. If the intruder organism reaches civilized, areas, I would like to know what all variables he's factoring into this equation. Yeah, I don't you know. know. <laughs> it seems like some kind of a supercomputer because at one point it's just like odds that someone in the team has been infected. 75 percent it's like based on what (laughs) how did we get to that mcgreedy getting drunk can't stop playing with that long underwear that nalls found which i just said and this scene is strange he's just sitting there he's drinking he's recording himself talking i think at this point although that might be later too and he's just like holding this long underwear and this seems to indicate that he's realizing the same thing that blair is realizing it's already gotten to at least one of them right and so the thing that they torched in the dog kennel is not enough. It's already too late. It's already among them. And if it's among them, I think at first, like you said, the small mind is like, how do we survive? But once you actually start thinking about the logistics of this, you either have to be fully confident that you yourself have not been turned. And at that point, sure, you're like, yeah. well, I'm going to end up having to kill everybody. Right. Maybe. 
that's not like your worst nightmare. I mean, you don't want to embrace that right off the bat, but you're <laughs> yeah. just like, if you really let your mind think, it's like, how do you know for sure? And I think even there's a sequence with outside, I think it's like Keith David and McCready and a couple of the other guys. And Keith David's like, if I was like a perfect copy, how would you know? Oh, and yeah. They really don't have an answer. They're right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like some annihilation stuff going on here, you know? Yeah. I, I think I feel like I need to rewatch Annihilation. I've kind of okay lost some of it. Not a great reference. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay though. I was thinking about how those in those give us a seconds we were basically like, here's a bunch of movies that just came out. Let's give spoilers for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we don't what? give a shit. Not everyone sees everything in theater. <laughs> we punish those who don't. There's something wrong with Blair. He's locked himself in his room and he won't answer the door. So I took one of his notebooks from the lab. Yeah. Listen. It could have imitated a million life forms on a million planets. Could change into any one of them at any time. Now it wants life forms on Earth. It's getting cold in here, Fuchs, and I haven't slept in Wait a minute, days. Mac, wait a minute. It needs to be alone and in close proximity with the life form to be absorbed. The chameleon strikes in the dark. So is Blair cracking up or what? Of the creed, there is still cellular activity in these burned remains. They're not dead yet. Go, Bennings. I gotta get some sleep. While moving the humanoid creature into a storage room, Fuchs, who kind of just comes out of nowhere, because at this As point, as a character, by the yeah, way, it's like yeah, he's a guy who never know. said anything, and all of a sudden, there's this guy Fuchs. He's involved. a major player. You for a minute, <laughs> you wouldn't know him from the fucking dog kennel guy before this. He approaches McCready and asks him to come talk to him outside, and that leaves Windows and Bennings alone with this remains. 
Unfortunately, it turns out the creature isn't actually dead, and when Windows leaves the room for a second, it goes for Bennings, starting this assimilation process. We're kind of cutting back and forth. Outside, Fuchs reveals that Blair has locked himself in isolation in his room, and that he's taking one of Blair's notebooks, and he starts reading it to McCready. Oh, boy. He reveals Blair's it's fears like someone's taking paranoias. one of your notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> People would, if they took my notebooks, they would just be like, oh, man. How many Sad. lists? Can one person Yeah, make? what are these lists of movies? <laughs> There's just endless lists. <laughs> it's under a heading that just says Kino Lorber. <laughs> under a heading that says Scream Factory. Right, yeah. Under a heading that says Criterion. What is this? <laughs> endless oh lists boy. of movies I need to buy. <laughs> just redrafts of lists of episodes of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we need to plan out until 2023 again. <laughs> revised second edition <laughs> in the notebooks we see blair's fears and paranoias but it also states plain as day that the remains the ones that they just left windows and bennings with still showed cellular activity and thus are not dead yet and mccready's oh, face it's like that pikachu meme of just like the open mouth <laughs> shocked mccready's just like oh shit right <laughs> we see windows actually return to the storage room to find Benning's bloody clothes and then he looks over and there's that nightmare in the corner the yeah. creature in the middle of replicating him so basically what happens is he killed like it's actually i will give the 2011 version a little bit of credit they explain this a little bit more clear okay good as to what happens it basically absorbs the person and then spits them back out and the way they do it in the 2011 version is yeah i don't think i would have got that from this they one burn something and then they find like a completely almost preserved version of the person inside the thing gotcha. when there was another version of the person oh on the boy. outside of it you like know what i mean so there's like the thing it's Russian digesting doll situation and then the thing that it's replicating outwardly is not the same thing right it's not like it the thing that's kind of confusing i think to people who maybe it's their first time with the movie or don't have any experience with it is it's not working its way into a person and that person just stays whole you know what I mean? It's not like the person is the same person. Right. It literally like absorbs the person and then like reforms it, replicates it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not the same physical body at right, all. Even. Right. So it's kind of weird. It's not like it's something that gets into a person and then that person's changed. But I mean, it's also like not just that though. Well, like where do all these tentacles and like shape shift? Well, sometimes from, it becomes know? like the true form of whatever it is. Gotcha. Or close to the true form. Right. I don't. I think the thing you see at the very end is, like, the closest to what the true form is supposed yeah. to be. But you're never really right. 100% sure. So, anyway, <laughs> Windows is just like, oh, God, when he sees this thing. He runs out and gets Mac and Fuchs. The thing that is pretending to be Bennings, though, is almost mostly formed, and it escapes outside of the storage room through a window. A lot of windows being broken. Yeah, That's I was one also thing that I'm just like, why do they have so many windows in this Arctic fucking base and why are they breaking them all i mean well this is the alien at this point well true but like what's his face the guy with the gun like yeah, broke yeah, one yeah. out earlier you know well there might be like certain porch areas that yeah. are not connected right okay. i don't know <laughs> soon everyone from the base has faux bennings surrounded outside and he's got those weird creature hands he's still and he's, like, somewhat in the snow. mid transformation right yeah and he gives that like insane howl 
when they surround him, it's very like foreign and alien sounding. It definitely reminded me of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and I was wondering if that was like kind of a nod. Could be. It's like, definitely oh. creepy, I will say. Yeah, yeah, that's like a a really scary moment. I love it, but they torch him. <laughs> <laughs> After the last miscalculation, though, McCready takes no chances this time, and they just really incinerate every bit of remains. True. Yeah, they can't leave anything there because seemingly the cellular activity can still continue and regenerate or whatever. Right. So now this cuts basically into Blair's freak out where he sabotages all of the vehicles. He kills the remaining sled dogs. This is dogs. Uh, the Shining-esque at this point. Yeah. He destroys the radio in order to prevent any possible escape. He's taking it upon really himself. Really had to kill those sled dogs. I mean. <laughs> well, I think he's afraid that it's possible that yeah. a sled dog either could make the trek which seems unlikely or if it survived and a rescue team came in do you think those sled dogs were saving anybody anyway no no if a rescue team arrived mm -hmm. and all of the humans were dead i understand they might still take the sled dogs out but why are the sled dogs there just to go out on little expeditions i don't know <laughs> You're acting like I know a lot about Arctic expeditions. You I don't know, know a lot about... Well, usually, even if you don't know, you still have a take on it. <laughs> I think there's probably... You could find some uses for the dogs. I'm thinking. Okay. You can go out on sleds. <laughs> there you go. Traveling. It's Those like Balto. Can't take the helicopter all the time because of weather or whatever. Sure, yeah. You can stand on one of those sled things, maybe. Yeah. Go look at a block of ice somewhere. Yeah, a lot of looking at ice, right. just being like, yep, it's frozen. This is... 100,000-year-old ice. <laughs> yeah, just pulling a number out. <laughs> like, what difference does it make? Right. I don't know. It's fucking ice. <laughs> Blair's really taking it upon himself to save humanity, what's happening here, but he hasn't really run this by anyone else on the team. <laughs> He's just like, I'm going to start doing this. And there's a standoff with a gun. They finally subdue him. Basically, they just shoot him up with morphine and lock him in a tool shed. Right. Which I guess is heated as well. Has to be. It's like a separate building. Blair becomes this important character more later in the film, and I definitely he has it. some fun scenes later on. I certainly with the enjoy noose. <laughs> <laughs> the noose is good, but I do love when he just starts talking to McCready or whoever it is. I, I think it's McCready later. Like, just I just like, want to come back. Yeah, I, listen, I got a little crazy for a while. I'm I've okay thought now. about it. Yeah, I'm good. I, you know, we can all hang out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of questions about Blair. That's really the main thing by the end of the movie is, like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Especially when they reveal some stuff later. But it seems like he couldn't have been an alien at this point. I agree, but it, yeah, I don't know. there's some weirdness. Okay, Dr. Copper comes up with this idea for a blood test to determine he was human because they have uncontaminated blood samples held in storage and they can compare each man's blood against these samples. We start going down, like, the reverse psychology road with a lot of this stuff. People are like well, wait, you're wanting me to do this because... And it's like, well, I wouldn't have suggested to well, do this. Well, that's because they find the blood samples have been destroyed. True. But the only people that have access are Dr. Copper and the station manager, Gary. And they're like, well, it couldn't have been Copper who destroyed these because it was his idea. Right. And they're like, well, that doesn't mean that he... You know, they're... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This whole sequence, whenever, like, Windows runs and breaks that window to get a shotgun... Sure. Yeah. Gary has to run up a lot with a of gun. firepower. You realize that there's a lot of firepower at this point. Well, you never know. Yeah. Wolves, <laughs> polar bears. I don't know. It's Are there like polar a bears hold in the dark? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> this whole sequence with the blood samples being destroyed and then the brief standoff with Windows is kind of the last straw. 
as far as Gary being in charge. Now McCready, which we all as viewers knew was inevitable, he finally is officially in charge. Although yeah. his reign as being in control is always in question almost immediately, too. Sure, yeah. Various people, especially Childs, seem to have an issue with it, which I guess is understandable because yeah, this guy's a nobody knows who's crazy human, pilot who number one, and yeah, number two, he's just a pilot and he lives separate anyway. Right. This whole next sequence is real weird. At first glance, you almost think like, oh, this is maybe a mistake that they did it like this, but I kind of like it because it leaves everything more in question as to what exactly happened. A fuse seemingly blows out in the lab where Fuchs is, and then Fuchs sees someone walk by, and he goes, who's there? And he follows them outside, and when Fuchs goes outside, we see him find McCready's torn-up jacket, almost like, oh, shit, McCready might be the thing, because his right, clothes yeah. got ripped up like the same way as other people. And then we just kind of leave that. We don't know what happens. So then Copper, Gary, and Clark, they're all sedated and chained down because they're the most likely suspects. Copper and Gary, because they're the only two that have access to the blood, and then Clark because he was around the dog so much. <laughs> Although they never explain that which to Clark. Yeah. And Clark isn't thrilled, but he never puts up that much of a fight, which I always find weird. Clark I is mean, just like, yeah, I guess I'll be part of this group. I'm not overwhelmed by Clark's character. You know what I mean? Like There doesn't seem to be like there's a lot there. But in all fairness to Clark, He's one of the only ones that's just, like, straight-up murdered. In True, the movie. yeah. He never really becomes the thing. Right. <laughs> Clark out of nowhere decides he's going to play hero ball at some point. Well, yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah. McCready, Nalls, and Windows go outside looking for Fuchs. And they find Fuchs' burned remains. And then they kind of just speculate that he killed himself before the thing could get to him. What the fuck happened here? Strange leap. Yeah, I don't know. They never explain this. The last thing we saw was Fuchs following someone outside that he didn't know who it was. Yep. He finds McCready's jacket. It cuts away from him. The next time we come back, he's just been burned up outside, which doesn't make any sense because it's not like the thing is going around killing humans. The thing wants to assimilate them and suck them into itself, right. which I guess kills them. But, you know, it's not just killing them to kill them. Yeah. It's killing them to assimilate them. To spread out, to multiply, Does basically. the thing have, like, a shared mind space? Unclear. Right. I think there was a scene This part filmed. is very confusing with Fuchs and everything. Like I think there was a scene Things happen very quickly and here. And they cut it out because it, I'm not sure the reasoning. Maybe it didn't look good or something, but they kind of just eliminate it and leave it vague. And I don't know. It kind of works for me in this particular movie just because of the unease of everything and you don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And this feels more real like if something this heightened and crazy started happening in this area you wouldn't know what was all happening no one character whether you're taking it from mccready's pov or somebody else you're never going to know all the details of what happens to everybody yeah and this whole thing happens really quickly i feel like the first time i saw this i i wasn't putting it together that it's mccready's jacket well it says mccready on i i know (laughs) i don't even think like there's so many characters that it just wasn't resonating with me right. the first okay. time I ever saw it. you know. Well, they, it comes back into play with Nalls in a minute. Yeah. So Windows returns back to the others, and then Nalls and McCready go to investigate McCready's shack because McCready sees the light is on in the shack, and he says when he left the shack yesterday, he shut it off. Yeah. So somebody's been up there. The next thing we know, Nalls comes back to the other group because he's cut McCready loose from the line that they were using to navigate 
through the snowstorm, and he returns without him. He's discovered McCready's torn up clothes in the shack and believes McCready's been assimilated. So this puts this big suspicion on McCready. Yeah. They all try to keep McCready locked out, but he eventually breaks in and he holds them at bay with dynamite, threatening to blow everyone up. This is kind of a cool, iconic shot of oh, right. Russell with yeah. the frozen beard and the cool lighting of the flare that For he's sure. lit yeah. and everything. This is all very confusing to me as to what all this all means Starting with the Fuchs thing, leading into the the red herring of McCready's torn up clothes, because it's clear that somebody's trying to divert suspicion away from them. It could have been any a number of these guys. During this whole altercation with McCready, Norris appears to have this heart attack, prompting the others to release Dr. Copper. As I mentioned, they had locked him down. Yeah. In order to attempt to treat him. And this leads to the wildest sequence yet, and possibly just the most insane scene of the movie, really. I mean, it's so fucking wild that you're just like, what the fuck? (laughs) It makes the dog scene look like nothing, and I can't help but imagine first-time audiences seeing this in 82 and just being like, holy fuck. It's completely unexpected. Yeah, the first time you're just like, what? It takes like the violence of the movie to like a whole other level that you just, I don't know, you wouldn't have thought that it worked this way. Yeah, and that really is the thing about this movie that stands out is that there's unlimited possibilities right the first time you see it by i think around this point you start to understand that there's no set way to prepare for what could happen sure and this just escalates even further so as copper attempts to defibrillate norris norris's chest transforms into this giant mouth chomping off copper's arms yeah. Seemingly killing him instantly. It goes horribly wrong, this attempt at resuscitation. <laughs> That's just so fucking crazy. Yeah. Though. He's using those like electric pad things to like, shock yeah, him yeah, back like, up, and clear. all of a sudden... <laughs> it's so <laughs> fucking wild. Yeah. McCready incinerates this Norris thing, but unbeknownst to him at first, the head separates from the body. It just pulls itself away. off yeah. as its own thing. Entity. And it sprouts legs like a fucking huge spider from hell. Pure nightmare fuel. This is fucking horrifying. I'm so happy in a way that I didn't see this as like a kid. Yeah, I I think it would have ruined my life. A hard time for me. I had a pretty wild imagination. So this is so fucking crazy. It looks incredible. This is what I was talking about with like Dean Cundey's filming, where there's enough mist and the lighting where. You don't see how fake it actually is, and it looks believable that this head is separating itself and then moving on its own. It's so crazy. It's using its tongue to like pull itself up, and then all of a sudden, it's got it's sprouting legs. It's it's so gross. Yeah, it's it's uh it's not great. I mean, is there anything even close to this movie, especially in this time frame, this time period? I mean, I I don't know what what even is close to this. I don't know. It just seems so far and above anything else. I think it just pushes the limits of of what you would have expected out of, like, an alien monster movie. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. They eventually do spot the head spider thing and torch that, too. At a certain point, you do just start to think, like, okay, just burn the whole fucking place down. Yeah, but this at least provides, like, an important lesson for the group, which we'll get to in a second. So everyone still doesn't trust Mac. Clark rushes him with a scalpel. Mac is forced to kill him in self-defense. Not a great move by Clark. No. 
Clark is. Why kind of, is Clark so convinced that Mac? I guess because he just believes. He just fell what, for it. Yeah, he yeah. believes the whole thing. If he would have uh, just weighed this out, they had this test set up here. Clark, <laughs> uh, yeah, he just he, he panics. Pick his moments well. I mean, you can't really blame him. It's a it's a rough situation. But it 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 should be a lesson to all. If you're a Clark, you don't go after a McCready. <laughs> That's you, a good you're point. always gonna lose. Yeah, look at you and look at him. You're not gonna win. After Matt kills Clark, I would make a comment here that please the group's morale is at an all-time low. I'm but, thinking, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's even if it needs to I be mean, they're, said they're after what we the, just witnessed. I mean, how far are we at this point from people just starting to tie themselves up? <laughs> We're going to draw a little bit of everybody's blood. We're going to find out who's the thing. Watching Norris in there gave me the idea that maybe every part of him was a whole. Every little piece was an individual animal with a built-in desire to protect its own life. You see, when a man bleeds, it's just tissue. No blood from one of you things won't obey when it's attacked. It'll try and survive. Crawl away from a hot needle, say. Max starts hypothesizing on the fly. He thinks, okay, every part of the thing is an individual life form with its own survival instincts based on what he saw with the Norris head thing. It's a sound conclusion, yeah. He decides that he's going to test everyone's blood samples with a heated piece of wire. The idea being that the infected blood will react, unlike human blood, which is just tissue. Once it's separated from yeah. a human, it's not like its own thing. This is a pretty good idea. This sequence, and I think the part with that we just saw with like the Norris situation well, with, with almost, the stomach mouth, these were the two scenes yeah. that Carpenter finally was like on board for. He was and like, this all right, I want to do really this. really unfolds as almost like a Russian roulette type sequence, you know? Yeah, because even this scene, I mean, everything, after a certain point, everything just lives up to the moment where you almost would think, like, oh, man, maybe they blew their load with the dog thing. And it's like, no, 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 we still got plenty of cool shit <laughs> Sure, <coming>. yeah. <laughs> if anything, the final version of the thing, the Blair monster at the very, very, very end, is almost like a letdown compared to all this cool shit they come up with earlier. Yeah, I consider these sequences kind of like the climax for me. I feel like it's only down after this final thing plays out in the bunker here. So he tests Windows' blood first, and then he uses Windows as like his assistant. Windows goes around with a scalpel. Very casual <laughs> approach to the blood right. t- samples being taken with the same scalpel. Nobody's blood reacts at first, and then... Because everyone assumes that, like, okay, Gary... Right? Don't they test Clark's, to, which reveals yeah, t- that he was innocent? They test Clark, and they test Copper. The guy who got his arms bit off. Yeah, yeah. And neither of them were the thing. And so, yeah, Childs points out, like, oh, I guess you were a murderer then yeah. once they realized that Clark was not infected. Although so self-defense. They test a couple of people, and, you know, at this point you're thinking, is it Gary? Because he maybe destroyed the blood samples, especially since Copper didn't turn out to be the thing. Right. Is it Childs? Because he's been so... Just a pain in the ass. Yeah, against really? McGreedy. Yeah. It's like, no, it turns out to be Palmer, a guy that has mostly been used for Not comedic involved. effect. Yeah. 
Like he smokes the big joint. Yep, he yep. watches the game shows on VHS tapes. He says a couple of funny lines throughout it, but he's not really a major player in any of the scenes. And his blood reacts and it jumps out of the container to avoid the heat. It's a really cool visual. Oh, yeah. And then instantly he's melting and turning into this monster. And Gary and Childs, who are basically tied, tied to, to Palmer, yeah. are flipping the fuck out. <laughs> McCready, his flamethrower seems to like be jamming. Malfunctioning? Yeah, it's yeah, like not working. Which that to me always makes me think that like the flamethrower is about to blow up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I feel like if I, was, I don't like, know enough about flamethrowers to really know. Well, either. sure, I know zero, which is why I'm sure I'm completely wrong. But yeah, know. I wouldn't even know like what terminology to use. <laughs> I my said, I wrote in my it's notes jammed. <laughs> yeah, I wrote jammed in my notes, but like I don't know. Yeah, For, like when there's a little piece of lint in a lighter, you know. <laughs> Before being able to kill the Palmer thing, it gets windows and it's like biting his head, but like with its, with kind of his alien head, it's like ragdolling him around. <laughs> McCready finally burns Palmer, and then he has to burn windows too because windows is about to. Basically yeah, and you're transform. quickly like, wow, it felt like we had a lot of guys left, but yeah, they not all really of a sudden anymore. in an, in short amount of time, Norris, Copper, Clark windows and palmer are just wiped out in yeah. about like five minutes right. it's pretty cuts it down because now everyone else passes the test including like childs and nalls and whoever but now there's not too many guys total there's basically just childs nalls gary and mccready and then blair out in the other room and that's it right so they leave childs on guard while the others go to test blair however they find blair has escaped the door is just <laughs> wide open yeah but for some reason, and I'm not entirely sure why, they decide. maybe I just missed it, I, I don't know, but they pull up the floorboards of the shed to find a tunnel into the ice and snow, like beneath this room that they've ke been keeping Blair in, in. And and Blair, we're supposed to take that he dug this, right? See, this is where all okay, these questions yeah, are coming right. from, that I don't understand what's happening. And maybe I'm missing a key element here. It's hard to tell how much time has gone by because... There, ha there are scenes at night, and then it's day, and then there's night, and then it's day. So it does True. feel like days yeah. have gone by, including just the time that they've kept So Blair you're thinking there. that McCready was in on this all along and was digging this? No, no, no. Okay. I'm just I don't get – what do you think? If Blair didn't dig this tunnel, where did it come from underneath this? No, no. Blair would have had to have done it. Okay, but I'm, okay. I'm just wondering how long he was in there to have done this. Gotcha. I mean, this isn't – Because this is where McCready lived, right? No, or is no, no, that, no, oh, this no. is different. He didn't want Blair in his place. True, yeah. So this is just a shed. They go into this tunnel and they find that Blair has been assembling what appears to be like a small spacecraft using vehicle components that he has taken from the other vehicles. This is completely insane, and I have no idea what this is supposed to mean. <laughs> sure, right. That's one of those things that you can tell is just written into a script and be like, ah, people will buy this. How long was Blair in that shed? Was he working on this ship all along, meaning even prior to this? Because it seems like, how did he have enough time to do all of this? Uh, yeah. Even if he's been an alien for a long period of time, even like a couple of days or whatever, I don't know how long he's been in that shed, but even if he was an alien, even when they put him in there in the first place, right. how long is this all taken? That is what it's always about, huh, with these sci-fi movies. It's like they're always just trying to like build a ship to <laughs> go home. Well, that's the thing. Some of the interpretations seem to be that it's building a ship that's just small enough to get it to civilization. Okay, yeah. 
Could that be. It's, that it's it's not really anything to do with going space. to okay. space or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. 100,000 years have passed. I'm assuming all of his friends are dead. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How long has Blair been inhuman? How is he going to get this ship out of there? It's buried (laughs) underneath the ice. I don't even understand what's happening. And was this ship purely for hibernation? Because McCready eventually speculates that this alien wants to hibernate and wait for a rescue team to come. And Could thus, be. when the rescue yeah. team comes, as would it not have potentially been fine Blair, just to hibernate in the shed? See, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I don't understand about this whole thing with the spaceship. I, I, I'm not really sure if it was thought out. It could be that like we're not sci-fi experts, so we're maybe missing something that makes sense to people. Because even in a lot of the things I was reading, I was seeing things addressing the confusion about Fuchs, addressing the ending, which is ambiguous. But this particular moment, people I people really don't see really have a lot of questions anywhere. about. I don't know. I didn't I search guess for it specifically, but I guess it should be obvious that it's not building a spaceship, like it to, to blast off into space. Right. Yeah, I don't know, but it's shaped like a saucer, though. Sure. Yeah. Which is similar to the thing at the beginning of the movie. Right. That's, so that's the that's only the, thing that the beginning of the movie. That's the good first for. thing that pops in my head. You know, like that's what I'm thinking when I see it. But oh, I agree. Yeah. I guess when you stop and think about it, it doesn't really make any sense. That was my first thing too, but yeah, I was thinking it through and trying to figure it out. So the main power generator for the base has been destroyed. This is when McCready speculates that it wants to freeze and wait for the rescue team to arrive because now it has no way out. So the only way out is to wait for new people to come. Yeah. So you wonder, okay. What was the plan of the alien before this? I don't know. That would make you maybe think that when Blair destroyed the helicopter and destroyed all the vehicles and shit that he was still human then. because You would think, yeah. But, like, when did he turn into the alien and how? I don't know. I guess maybe Palmer or Norris went to him. Had to be, yeah. When he was running around with McCready's torn-up clothes? I don't know. (laughs) Who the fuck knows? Yeah. It's fun, though, to try to, like, construct what could have possibly happened because it's never really revealed. The first thing they do is they take some dynamite and they blow up this ship that Blair's been building. And then the three of them, Mac, Nalls, and Gary try to burn down the station to kill the thing. But when they get back, their child's is nowhere to be found. In fact, I think Nalls sees Childs leaving. Okay, yeah. And they, they don't know what he's doing, but when they go back, he's not there. So then they go down below the station into the generator room, and they're rigging all these explosives, and that's when Blair appears when they're kind of separated from each other, and he kills Gary, and he does that thing where he like sticks his fingers like in his face. Yes. It's kind of this weird kill that they just throw into the end of this movie not unlike the slasher genre that carpenter basically helped to invent a few years earlier yeah i mean aside from like the shape-shifting and like being able to turn into like just monstrous beings or whatever like uh, obviously super strength on the table here anything right table it seems like Nalls just wanders off and you never see what happens to him had enough well I think the assumption is that, well, it seems like he's going further in, and the assumption is that he's killed too, but you don't actually see it. I think they, again, like Fuchs, I think there was a scene that they filmed and took out. It's almost kind of better. I kind of like it. Yeah, again, it kind of fits with that Fuchs thing where you're kind of not 100% sure what happens, but Nalls just kind of wanders off. McCready can't find him. Hard to say exactly what happens. So then Blair now fully transformed into the final form of the thing, the final thing that we see. He kind of just erupts from the ground in front of McCready, and he destroys the detonator before McCready can set it off. It's this huge, grotesque monster with 
multiple heads, multiple limbs. It's got that dripping look that's throughout the movie that really adds something to it. Yeah. Where you're just like, this is really gross. McCready just pulls out his inhaler and is like, this is battery acid, you <laughs> slime. <laughs> it's like got elements of Blair still on it a little bit, but you, it's kind of got this alien head. But then out of it, the middle of it springs like a dog head. So it's yeah. kind of combining everything right. at this point. And it's, it's gross. It's very quick, though. Like... There's no build-up to some big final fight. McCready is just kind of able to trigger the explosive with a stick of dynamite almost immediately. Yeah, yeah. Completely destroying the base. It's certainly not drawn out. And he escapes, and he sits outside as it burns, and then as he's sitting there, Childs just returns. You the only one who made it? Not the only one. Did you kill it? Where were you, Charles? Thought I saw Blair. I went out after him. Got lost in the storm. <laughs> Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. fuck's going on and he says that he got lost in the snow pursuing blair and they kind of just look at each other and at this point you don't know as the audience exactly for sure if they're both telling the truth but assuming that they're both telling the truth or that one of them's human and the other's not they kind of just look at each other and they realize there's really nothing they can do at this point sure yeah but wait it out to freeze and they share this drink together people have speculated a lot as to what is happening here you can look closely Childs doesn't have breath, but McCready does. Oh, okay. You see McCready's wow. breath in the Would frozen air. Childs doesn't now. have it. Cundy apparently lit people's eyes differently if they were infected or not. So, like, the people that were human had a brightness in their eyes because oh, wow. there was life there. So there's clues, I guess. Carpenter himself has said that one of them is the thing, maybe, but he won't ever say. Yeah. You would assume... McCready is human because we feel like we see him the whole time sure yeah i would say i don't really care either way i think it's the best possible scenario is to leave it like this i do you know I, i've watched it feeling like that they even though it's weird with childs i, I feel like 
they're both human, but it almost it doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, and the fun part is he could very well be human, but his story is suspicious, sure. which is the whole point. Which has also happened with McCready earlier, really. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing of like the original idea of the story, because behind every horror or science fiction, there's this idea at play that translates to real life, and whether you want to put this onto like just general mistrust amongst human beings or if you want to put like a political spin like cold war shit or a sociological thing like aids or whatever but the thing the, is the whole idea is like you don't know who's there like you, right you no longer can trust these people and just by planting that seed of mistrust in the child's story you're basically at square one all over again yeah, with yeah. The two of them and like but the weird thing is is once you're down to these two what value does the alien have to play anything coy? You know what I mean? Why not? If you have the ability to just fuck people up. Well, McCready's already burned up a lot of these guys. I think he's like a formidable foe. It does. It, True. It, there's a little bit of coyness, a little cat and mouse. It's All like, right. Yeah. Why not wait? There's nothing he can do now. Like the alien can survive frozen. Yeah. We already know that. Whereas a human being can't. So if one of them is human and one of them isn't, the alien doesn't really have any incentive to make itself known to risk a battle that it might lose. Yeah, that's true. Because there's no reason to. The logical move would just be to wait till the human gets weak from the cold or you can freeze yourself basically and wait for a rescue team because that's what will happen. A rescue team will come. People know that they're there. Yeah, yeah. They're scientists. They're connected to different things, probably universities or wherever they get the grants and all that shit. So people will come eventually, and assuming that this alien thing can read minds, it would know that. Sure. And if it really is assimilating brain function and then like whatever is in the brain, then it knows all the things the human knows. And so the logic would dictate, then I'll just wait this out. It is a great ending, though. There's no definitive answer. Like people will say, like, "Oh, well, Childs is the thing because it disappeared. He disappeared, and there's all these little clues, or whatever. It doesn't matter. People can think whatever they want. The idea of being back to square one, built on mistrust, is the ending that you want. Right. And yes, it works perfectly. It's become a classic. It's become an undisputed classic. One of the best science fiction movies of all time. One of the best horror movies of all time. And it really fucked up Carpenter's career. He had a deal with Warner <laughs> wow. Brothers that got that? basically canceled. Really? He was going to direct Firestarter. He got fired because of the thing. Really? And wow. He personally had a hard time dealing with the failure of the movie. What's because Firestarter? He it's that Drew Barrymore. It's a Stephen King adaptation. Ah. It fucking sucks. But the point was it was a big studio movie, though. Not that the movie itself turned out to be great. It didn't. It's... Uh, yeah, that's th a huge bummer. It's a thousand times worse than the thing. Now, granted, I own both, and they're both on Scream Factory now. But <laughs> <laughs> the the idea, though, is like he had something big going on. He was on the upswing. He had done his small movies himself that were all profitable. The studios wanted in on this. He gets this big deal with Warner Brothers, and this thing gets. I mean, this was like I'm not just talking about bad reviews. I mean, people hated this movie. It was wow, critically reviled passion, at yeah. first. It really fucked him up and kind of affected the types of movies I think he made for the rest of the 80s. And it, I think it it took a while, I think, yeah, to I recover. Yeah, I mean, I, I always kind of 
consider John Carpenter to be sort of a sad story, actually. I, I just think he's that, not like, as sad as some guys like Toby Hooper and a few others. True. Or even a Michael Cimino or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is well, Cimino like, at least won True. Best picture for the Deer Hunter at one point. I, I know, but it's just like when you look at like the post Heaven's Gate world yeah. it is just the highs like, highs to the oh, lows lows oh yeah. it's just like a sat that imdb list like after heaven's gate is just right yeah he, his career scene. was completely derailed but i mean obviously carpenter hasn't it never like turned to complete horrible shit but i feel like there was so much there and he was such a talented filmmaker he experienced a lot of the same issues that wes craven did which was once they started getting big studio budgets and people from the studios putting their hands in and getting involved. Right. That's when like the trouble started like on their own. Not that they were perfect. I mean, both of them oh, sure, did sure. shitty things yeah. on their own too, but you know, in their early days kind of doing their own thing, being left to their own device with a minimal budget. Yeah. More of an indie thing. They both succeeded way more than once they tried working within that studio system. Sure, yeah. Now, granted, The Thing is a studio movie, and it might be Carpenter's best movie, but it's the thing that... I would also say it has a very indie feel to it. Yeah, but it's also the movie that fucked him up, I think, going forward. Yeah, yeah. And probably there was a lot more studio oversight and other more big-budgeted things that he got to work on later on down the line. But he's still alive, and he was a producer on this new Halloween. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's turned more to music. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> he t- I, I he tours his music. I don't think people consider John Carpenter. I mean, John Carpenter, I think, is considered, like, a success for sure. Like, Well, you did just refer to him as a sad story. I, I just or personally <laughs> think it's sad because I feel like there was opportunity for more that never really came to be. And I don't know. I just feel like at a certain point you start looking and you're like, John Carpenter's Vampires. You're like, where did it all go wrong? Well, that, I mean, what's that, like 98? That's right. That's way down the I know, line. Yeah. There were a lot of weird choices. Because, I mean, he did Big Trouble in Little China, which was a hit. With right, and obviously, teaming yeah. Teaming up well, with Kurt Russell you know, again. Escape from New York. That would predate the thing. Right, okay. I guess that's still in the, the good run, then. Yeah. Yeah. He's done a lot of good movies. Yeah, fuck you too. All right, this episode has gone on forever, so sure, we'll yeah. wrap it up. All right. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on iTunes, and we will see you all again real soon.
I spoke with Paula's mother this afternoon. So? I guess Paula's really excited about the sleepover tomorrow night. Oh, shut up, you drunken witch. 